42 in just a moment. John chapter 1, verses 41 and 42. We'll read those here in just a moment. We're going to spend several weeks looking into uh, Peter's life, getting to know Peter, uh, before we get into the book of 1 Peter, which will be uh, probably the middle of February or so, the way things are looking right now. Uh, but we're going to look at uh, Peter's life. Uh, we're going to call this, or uh, title this, Simon the Stone, because, of course, before Jesus changed his name to Peter, his name is Simon. Now, Simon is one of my favorite Bible people, because he was, he was full of energy. He was a lively fella. Uh, now, he was often reckless and impetuous, but he was usually pretty sincere, and uh, he may have been sincerely wrong a lot of times, but he was very sincere about what he was wrong about. Simon was a man who was, was passionate about the way he lived his life. Now, now, later, we'll see his passion for serving Christ would become very, very obvious. And we're going to focus on, on that once uh, we kind of lay some foundation here. Now, earlier in his life, though, this, this fellow, Simon, he was just a rough and tumble fisherman. I mean, he had been hardened by, by the elements and just by the load of daily manual labor. Uh, it, it was a rough life of fisherman back then. Uh, he may have exhibited that whole, you know, devil-may-care attitude. But one day, Simon met Jesus, and his life was changed forever. Nobody really meets Jesus and isn't changed by the meeting. Right. Change can't not happen. Um, now fortunately, uh, Jesus was able to look beyond his flaws, uh, beyond his personality quirks, beyond his sin, and see the potential that lied there. Uh, Jesus would take this unstable, indecisive, hot-blooded man and make him a man of spiritual stability that was grounded in Christ and his teaching. Now, what Christ did for Peter, he can do for you and I. Uh, now, whether we like to admit it or not, we, we tend to show some of Peter's same characteristics. We have our own flaws, our own weaknesses, our own sins. We all have a tendency to follow our impulses rather than the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if anything, Peter is representative of like the common man, common Christian. He was just so very human, right? so very identifiable. Uh, you know, Paul seems like he's just almost, you know, just a little out of touch. You know, he's just on a little higher plane than the rest of us. But Peter, he's right down here with us. Now, now like Peter, though, Jesus can take a very common, very ordinary man or woman, and make a very uncommon servant of God. That's always really been his purpose for his children. Now, after Simon met Jesus, his name was changed, and, and, and that name change was indicative of the work that Christ would perform in Peter's life and then through Peter's life. So we're going to study the transformation that took place in Simon's life and, 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 and the process that led up to this. All right? Uh, so if you're in first, uh, not first John, John 1, Gospel of John, chapter 1, find verse 41. And it says, And he first findeth his own brother Simon, this being Andrew, 
and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him, that's Andrew brought Simon, unto Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, son of Jonas, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. So when Jesus beheld him, it said, says, Oh, you're, you're, you're Simon, son of Jonas, uh, Jonah, Jonas. So, okay. I'm going to call you something different. You're now going to be Cephas or, or, or a stone. But, but when, when he's called, called Simon, it's basically Simon, son of Jonah. We would, we would say his name is Simon Johnson. Right? Jonah was another name for John. So he's Simon, John's son. Just, he's just Simon Johnson. Yep, Simon Johnson, a fisherman. Regular kind of guy. But Jesus uh, makes a promise. And, and this promise is based on what he saw in, in Simon. So what we're going to see is that Jesus captured Peter's attention by the way he interacted with him. And, and, and the first way that Jesus captured Peter's attention was by a promise he made. In verse 42, it says that, that, that he beheld. And that means that he, that, that he, he made a close, uh, penetrating look. Which means that Jesus looked inside Simon and saw not just what he was, but he saw what he could be. Now, this is one of the few times where Peter was speechless, okay? Usually Peter is ready to open his mouth and just whatever's going through his head is going to fly out. But this time Peter doesn't say anything. Uh, now, now Peter's weak, he's impetuous, but Jesus says, you will become, you are, I'm going to call you a stone, a rock. Now, the prospects of Christ's promise captured Peter's attention and kind of caught him off guard. Now, it is truly wonderful what God can do with a life that is given to him. Now, you give God a scheming, conniving Jacob, and he will make him a prince with God, Israel. You give God a legalistic, cruel persecuting Saul of Tarsus, and he will make a loving, dedicated Paul the Apostle. You give God a weak, impetuous, cocky fisherman, and he'll make him a rock-solid, stable man after God's heart. So Jesus' promise captured Peter's attention, but Jesus' power also captured Peter's attention. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, find verse 4, we'll read verses 4 down to 8. And it says in Luke chapter 5 and verse 4, now when he had done, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Verse 5 of Luke 5, And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. You ever have a fishing trip like that? Fish and fish and fish and nothing. And then somebody you think doesn't know anything about fishing wants to tell you how to fish. (laughs) Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had done, done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, uh, that they should come and help them. 
and they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. If there was one thing Simon knew about, it was how to catch fish. And it had to seem strange that this, this, this new rabbi, this teacher, this carpenter, uh, stone worker, tries to give Peter fishing advice. But he follows it, and, and here he has, has fish by the droves. And it was here that Peter learned that Jesus had the power over his business. Jesus had power over his livelihood. Jesus had power over his ability to feed his family. In this miracle, what Jesus is doing is establishing his authority over Peter's life. Peter not only learned that Jesus had power over his business, but he also learned that the Lord wished to give him his, give, give Peter's business some, some eternal dimension, some, some, some eternal uh, perspective, some eternal depth. In, in chapter 5 and verse 10, uh, it says, Fear not, Jesus says, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Jesus is changing Peter's entire life direction. See, God doesn't call everyone, though, to be a preacher or a missionary, but, but he does want his people, he wants you to realize that, that whatever we do in life is to have an eternal dimension about it. No matter what line of honorable work you may do, you can still be a fisher of men. And you still need to be a fisher of men. Peter had, had, had been captured by the power of Jesus here because in verse 11 it indicates that immediately he followed Jesus. He knew this man was different. Something, something is new about Jesus. So, so what we find is that Jesus captured Peter's attention by his promise and by his power. The second thing we see is that Jesus challenged Peter's faith. Jesus told Peter, I'm going to make a rock out of you. Now, we know that rocks don't, you know, come about overnight. Uh, they're formed through the process of heat and uh, pressure. You know, someone once said that some people will change when they see the light. Others change only when they feel the heat. Now, in the same manner, the Lord allows things into our life that will ultimately produce a godly stability in our makeup. And, and the same was in store for Peter. You see, we, we people, we humans, we don't like to change. Unless it's our idea, then we like it. But I think Isaac Newton had it right when he said, Everything continues in a state of rest until it is com compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Right? Well, God wants to compel a change in you by impressing himself into your life. See, his faith was challenged, first of all, by an experience of sinking. I want you to listen to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verses 25 to 30, this is where Jesus is walking on the water after he's had one of the most stressful days Jesus could have had in his life, and he goes up to the mountain to spend time in prayer. He sends the disciples across the sea to wait for him on the other side. So instead of walking all the way around the shore, Jesus takes a shortcut across the sea in the storm, and that's where we find it in Matthew 14, verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. Don't feel bad, you would have done the same thing. Verse 27, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Verse 28 says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And notice in verse 29, Jesus doesn't scold Peter. Right? He doesn't say, what are you thinking? And you loudmouth, you really want to get, no. All he says was, okay, come. Which means, yes, it really is me, and I'm really beckoning you to obey. Verse 29, and he said, come. And when Peter was coming down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now the grammar indicates time passed. Peter walked on the water for a while with Jesus. But verse 30 says, But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, and that's also how we know that Jesus and Peter were close enough that he was just an arm's reach out. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? See, in this passage here, Jesus came unto them walking on the night in the middle of a bad storm. Peter says, essentially, Lord, this boat's getting me nowhere. Maybe if I walk with you, I can get someplace. And Jesus says, you want to walk with me for a while? Come on, let's, let's take a walk and leave the other guys in the boat, the chins on the deck. But that's okay. So Peter steps out, he, he walks on the water, but he didn't consider the difficulties that are associated with walking by faith. And there are difficulties associated with walking by faith. He saw the storm around him and he began to sink. What we're talking about is that weird victorious failure kind of thing. All right? he, he did walk on the water. But his faith did falter. But even in our failures, um, you know, God, God uses those failures to challenge us to, to walk with Christ by faith, not by sight. Dr. Jerry Vines has, has, has said this. He says, a defeat. Now, now get this. A defeat that leaves you humble is better than a victory that leaves you proud. Right? A defeat that leaves you humble is better than a victory that leaves you proud. A defeat that causes you to cling to Jesus is far better than the victory that prompts you to be independent of him. See, Peter learned something else here. He learned that he needed to keep his eyes trained on Christ all the time, not to be overwhelmed by what was going on around him. Peter also learned that faith is essential to a victorious walk because it says, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? There's every indication that Jesus and Peter could have walked all the way across and left the other guys in the boat through the storm. The storm would have passed because Jesus says, I will meet you on the other side. So the guys were going to make it. They didn't realize it, but they were going to make it. But they could have left them in the boat, the storm would have calmed, they would have made it over, and Jesus and Peter would have been just chilling, waiting for him to show up. That didn't happen because Peter took his eyes off of Christ. We need to keep our eyes on Christ. Something else we see is that Peter's faith was challenged by an experience of sternness, I guess we can call it. 
out of Matthew chapter 16, the accounts in verses 13 to 22, we're not going to read the whole thing, I'm just going to take some sections out of it. Uh, but, but this is where, where Jesus asked his disciples, who, who am I? Who do men say that I am? And Peter, taught by the Holy Spirit, confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, but, but then he's rebuked by Christ when he's used of the devil to rebuke Jesus concerning going to Jerusalem for his crucifixion. One minute, Peter is, is reciting what the Spirit taught him, uh, Matthew 16, 16, one of the greatest theological statements in all of Scripture. Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then right after that, in, in verses 22 to 23, uh, when, when, when Jesus says, i got to go to Jerusalem because some bad things have to happen. I have to die. Verse 22 says, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, uh, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, in verse 23, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou art on offense unto me, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. One minute, one of the greatest theological statements in all of Scripture, Jesus says, no, the Father's revealed that to you. And then the next heartbeat, we see Jesus saying, Peter, you are Satan to me. And talk about an up and a down, right? I mean, how, how would you have reacted to that? Sometimes we are all like Peter. We find ourselves just, just vacillating in our walk with Christ. I mean, we're up one minute and we're down the next. We have a victory. We have a defeat. Thank God that God understands. Thank God that God continues to work with us. You know, sometimes we need to be, be jarred to our senses. I think that's what happened to Peter when Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Let me share with you a little story here. About a former New York Yankee, great. You remember Mickey Mantle? I don't. I'm not old enough, so there. Okay. Mickey Mantle recalls that as a teenager in the minor leagues, he began playing kind of poorly. And he was discouraged and he was homesick. He was feeling sorry for himself. So Mantle tearfully called his father to come and just, just take me home. When the elder Mantle arrived, you know, Mickey expected sympathy. He expected reassurances that, yes, it was time for the father to take the boy out of that cruel, harsh environment. But Charles Mantle jarred his son by saying, okay, if that's all the guts you've got, you might as well come home with me right now and work in the mines. Well, that kind of snapped Mickey awake. So he stuck it out for the rest of the year. And by doing that, he ended up, of course, writing his name in baseball history because he was jarred to his senses. I think that's what happened to Peter. Right after saying, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. The other disciples kind of looking at him like, whoa, where'd you, where'd you get that from? And then Jesus turning around and saying, get thee behind me, Satan. That had to get his attention. Psalm 103, verse 14 says, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are but dust. Right? He, he knows how frail we are. He knows how weak we are. 
He knows what sin has done to us. But he also knows how strong he can make us. Something else we see is that he was challenged by an experience of satanic sifting. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now notice that, that Satan had to get permission to shift, uh, sift Peter. Uh, but God will often allow Satan to buffet us, to shake us, in order to rid us of the spiritual chaff in our lives, useless things, things that stop our forward movement for the Lord, things that don't need to be in our life. And Peter had a few things in his life that God wanted to work on. Now, Peter had a problem with um, presumption. Um, in Luke twenty-two thirty-three, Peter says this, And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. See, Peter was assuming way too much of himself. As we know later, he denied even even knowing Jesus. And, and, And how many times have we done this? How many times have we made this statement? Lord, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. And we determine to be totally dedicated to the Lord, yet we find ourselves doing things that lack that total dedication to the Lord. Peter also had a problem with prayerlessness. Still in Luke 22, you drive down to verse 46. Uh, Jesus is speaking, says, and he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Arise and pray lest you enter into temptation. Just just moments before, Peter had declared that he would follow Jesus, he would die for Jesus, but not only was he not prepared to die for Jesus, he wasn't prepared to stay awake and pray with Jesus. It was easy to deny Jesus when you don't spend time in prayer with him. It's easy to deny him when you don't spend time in his word with him. We'll see Peter also had a problem with his mouth. He had a problem with profanity. Matthew says in chapter 26, verse uh, 72, and then verse 74, that uh, says in verse 72 that Peter denied the Lord with an oath. But verse 74 says that he denied him with cursing and swearing. It's not the kind of thing that ought to be coming out of a disciple's mouth. It's not the kind of thing that ought to be coming out of a child of God's mouth. See, God had permitted Satan to sift Peter. And that sifting left Peter a broken man. He learned how foolish it was to put confidence in his own flesh. So in the life of Peter, we see that that Jesus captured Peter's attention first. And then Jesus challenged Peter's faith. But what we see lastly is that Jesus converted Peter's heart. In Luke 22, verse 32. Luke twenty-two thirty-two, Jesus again is speaking and says, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Now the word converted as it's used here means to return or to restore. The idea here is is not that Peter needed to be saved, 
but, but that Jesus foresaw Peter's spiritual departure from him, his denial uh, due to the failure and the discouragement and the fact that he would need to be restored to fellowship. He'd need to be repaired. And Jesus converted Peter's heart by, first of all, recalling his failure. And that sounds counterintuitive. But uh, if you're still in John, uh, you're not too far from there. Look in chapter 21. John chapter 21. And find verse 3. This is where things seem to be just, you know, the guys don't know what to do with themselves now. John 21 verse 3, Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. And they said unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship and immediately, and uh, ship immediately, and that night uh, they caught nothing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And verse 5 says, when Jesus, uh, then Jesus saith unto them, children, have ye any meat? And they answered, no. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, it's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat uh, unto him, for he was naked, and, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw the fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. So Peter is going back to his old life, fishing on the Sea of Galilee. I ask him if they've caught anything again. The reply is no, and Jesus told them, cast on the other side, the right side. And of course, the result's more fish than they can carry. And, and see, there's a lot of parallel between this and what happened in Luke chapter 5 when, when, when Jesus is establishing his, his authority over Peter. After the disciples had recognized Jesus, they came to shore. They found that he'd already fixed them breakfast. Now the fish no doubt would have reminded Peter of his failure since Jesus had called him away from fishing for fish to be a fisher of men. And the bread may have reminded Peter of the day that Jesus said that he was the bread sent down from heaven. And it was at that point that many of the disciples ceased to follow Jesus. And Jesus asked Peter, well, you guys going to go away too? And, 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 and Peter says, well, well, no, you've got the words of life. Where else are we going to go? But now he too had forsaken Christ. And the coals of fire would have reminded Peter of the fire where he warmed himself the night that he denied knowing Christ. See, the Lord wants to recall our failures not to humiliate us, but to help us. You see, sin must be faced and forsaken. Trauma must be faced and the shame has to be felt before you can heal from it and move on there is a wonderful symmetry between the two fires that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks where peter falls and peter is restored by christ jesus also converted peter's heart by by rekindling his fervor if you're still in john 21 look at uh, verse 15 Jesus and Peter are having a conversation here. It says, So when they had dined, 
Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas. Notice how he's not calling him Peter now. He's calling him by his old name. A reference to his weakness. It says, Lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16 says, And he saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17 says, And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Now on the surface, that seems like an odd conversation. But when Jesus said, Lovest thou me? In verses 15 and 16, he uses the Greek word for love that is, that is agape, which is the kind of love that God is. It's the sacrificial love. But, but when Peter responded, he, he responded with the uh, brotherly love kind of love, the, uh, the phileo, like, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. He's in essence saying, Lord, you, you know I like you. Peter doesn't have the confidence right now to say that he loves the way he's supposed to love. He's just, he's just not there. Peter had learned not to assume too much. How could, how could Peter say that, that he loved the Lord the way the Lord wants to be loved when he had denied him around the fire and had left to go fishing again? How could Peter presume to think that he actually could love the Lord like that? He was afraid, I think, to say, yes, I, I love you with that agape love. I think he was wary to say, yes, I love you with the highest form of sacrificial love. But the third time, the third time Jesus questions Peter and says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He uses the same word for love that Peter does. He says, okay, Peter, do you like me? Do you phileo brotherly love me then? You see, Jesus often has to deal with us right where we are. Not, not where we ought to be, but, but right where he finds us. But his goal is always to move us from where we are to where we need to be. He loved Peter enough to meet him right there. All right, Peter, if you can't say it, if you can't make that commitment that you love me with that sacrificial love, then yes, I will, I will agree with you now that yes, you, you, you like me a lot, but, but Peter, I love you too much to leave you there. Yes, I'll meet you there, but, but let's walk on. Let's move beyond this. Let's go to where we need to go. Peter he did begin to feed Christ's sheep. And later he would die a martyr's death. And, and it's only legend. It's not in scripture. But, but, but legend has it. The history says that he died on a cross like Christ. But unlike Christ. That Peter came to love Christ so much and with such depth that he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified like Christ, 
but has to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die like Christ did. Now in the spectrum of Peter's life, where do you find yourself? It's from one extreme to the other. From Peter's calling through Peter's death, Jesus was there the entire time. Peter waxed and he waned. He got it right and he failed. But Jesus was always there for him. Always meeting him right where his need was greatest and moving him to where his victory could be greatest. So let me ask you, what do you need from Jesus right now? Everything Peter needed, Jesus supplied. What do you need from the Lord this morning? Do you need encouragement? Do you need rebuke? Do you need restoration? Or do you need faith? Do you need peace? As he was with Peter, Jesus is right here with you to meet you at the point of your need, but not to leave you there, to walk with you where he wants you to go. Jesus is waiting by the fire, and he is inviting you to join him and continue to live with him. The question you have to ask yourself is, are you going to go? Are you going to walk where Jesus wants you to walk? Are you going to minister the way Jesus wants you to minister? Are you going to sacrifice the way Jesus wants you to sacrifice? Are you going to live the way Jesus wants you to live? Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we want to thank you this morning once again for your word, for its authority, for its power. We thank you for the example of Peter's life that he seems so very much like us, up and down and right and wrong, living for you, messing up. And Lord, through each of those instances, you were there to, to guide him, to rebuke him when he needed it, to encourage him when he needed it, to build his faith, Father, thank you that through other portions of your word, you have promised that same thing to us. Father, I pray for those here this morning that may not know Christ as Savior. They have never met him. They've never been introduced to Jesus the way Peter had been. And I pray, Lord, that that you would convict them of their sin. I pray that you would lead them to repent of their sin and turn to Christ in faith for the salvation of their soul, for the forgiveness of their sin. For those of us this morning, Lord, here that that know you through our faith in Christ, I want to thank you. Thank you that you will meet us at the point of our need. But that your love is so deep and so committed and so broad that you will not leave us in our deficiency that you will empower us and strengthen us and encourage us and walk with us as we learn more of you and grow in you. 
So, Father, this morning I pray that you would do what needs to be done in each heart this morning. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mike, would you come ahead, please?